Welcome to the Resonate Boise Sermons Podcast. Today, we'll be hearing from our site pastor, Jonah Link, as he continues our sermon series going through the book of Mark. Resonate Church, it's great to be with you this morning. I know this looks incredibly different than a normal Sunday. It's rather unprecedented, but it's a joy nonetheless to gather with you to worship the Lord together. Last night, as Tor and I were driving home from McCall, it was incredibly snowy and just gross outside, and the snow actually got worse as we pulled in closer to Boise. And as we're coming up Eagle Road, People are driving all over the place trying to figure out where the lanes are. We pull up to the stoplight on Eagle and Shinden, and I kind of jokingly said to Tori, do churches have snow days? And she kind of just shrugged her shoulders. We forgot about it, and we moved on and finished the drive. As soon as I pulled into our driveway and started unpacking, I started receiving some texts about whether or not we were going to have church this morning and, and gather in person together. And ultimately, we came to a moment, the, the elders and I decided that it would be best for us to not gather in person this morning or this evening out of uh, the care for your safety. And so we, we desire for you to be safe and care for you physically, uh, but also spiritually. And so this is an attempt to really care for your souls as well. And so my prayer is and hope is that you would feel both cared for spiritually and physically this morning. And also that you would just be able to engage with this experience. You'd be able to engage with the Lord and hear from him this morning. So last week, we started working through the gospel of Mark. And if you missed it last week, you can pop over to the previous recording on Spotify and listen to the message there. But I did my best to give a comprehensive introduction to the gospel of Mark to really set us up for a successful couple of months as we study the book and work towards Easter Sunday. For those of you that couldn't make it, though, here's a quick one-sentence summary of the gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark exists to tell the true story of Jesus, the authority he carries, and show how he lived. That is what you're going to see in the book of Mark. And last week, we used the first 13 verses to help answer two questions for us. One, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Number two, what authority does he hold? What authority does he hold? What authority does he carry? And so we came to understand through the first 13 verses that we know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is king. He is also the son of God. That is who he is. And then secondarily, that he holds all authority. In heaven and on earth, he holds all authority. And so the question that we're going to get into today is why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did Jesus decide he needed to come to this broken place? Why did Jesus leave the right hand of God, come down to earth, and as we read last week, be tempted by Satan in the wilderness? Why did he subject himself to that? Why did he need to come to earth and go through all that he went through? And so if you have your copy of scripture, you can go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be in two verses today, verses 14 and 15. It's going to help us answer that very question. So this is what the text says. After John was put in prison, 
Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus says this, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Remember, this proclamation is happening after Jesus is baptized and is driven into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. After all of that goes down, Jesus begins his earthly ministry with this proclamation. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. One of the first things that we need to understand is that kings are in charge of kingdoms. I know that's rather elementary, but that's where we have to start. Kings rule over kingdoms. That's how it goes. Throughout Israel's history, we actually see that they desire an earthly king. God is their king, yet they desire an earthly king. You see in 1 Samuel 8, verse 5, They say to Samuel, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They desired to have a king rule over them just like the rest of the world. But they didn't want it God's way. They didn't want to be ruled as God would rule over them. They wanted it done their own way. And church, that is a slippery slope to be on right there. Israel literally wanted to be just like the world around you, though they were to be set apart. They didn't want God to be ruler over this kingdom of Israel. They didn't want that. They wanted to be like the people and nations around them. Even after God delivers them from the hands of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, and they spend 40 years wandering the desert and are given this food called manna by God, And manna literally means what? Like they don't know what in the world this food is God is providing for them, but God provides for them day after day, even amidst their disobedience. It's incredible. You think about this storytelling culture and you cannot imagine how they could forget how good their God was to them, even amidst their disobedience. And so for us, as we read those stories, we might think, man, guys, what are you thinking? What are you thinking to want a a God, a king other than God himself that has given himself to you? Except we've done the same exact thing. I can't imagine. It would be very hard for us to think of moments throughout our lives when we wanted to be kings of our own earthly kingdom. We've all been there. We've all had moments where we said, God, I don't want you to reign today. I want to reign over my life today. Today, it is all up to me. God, you can have your reign back in my life tomorrow. But today, I I got the reins today, God. And you don't have to think very hard or look very far to see how obsessed we are with kings and kingdoms for that matter. Last year, there was a, a viral TikTok where women would walk up to men, whether it was their husband or their, their, just their friends, and they would walk up and say, have you thought about the Roman Empire today? And without hesitation, all of these guys would turn, look at the camera and say, yeah, I have. I have thought about the Roman Empire today. And yeah, some of it can be chalked up to men are weird for sure. But I think there is something about us that desires a king. We are fascinated with the idea of kings and kingdoms. And so the question within the text here for us is what is the kingdom of God? 
what is the kingdom of God? Because the kingdom of God is mentioned 126 times between the four gospel accounts, signifying that this is a very important topic to Jesus himself. So if kingdoms have kings, then the kingdom of God is where God gets his way with everything. Every single piece of that kingdom subscribes to God's rule and reign. So here's a definition for you. The kingdom of God is God's reign, not a realm or a people. The kingdom of God is God's reign, not a realm or a people. The realm would be the idea of heaven, the the place where the kingdom of God comes to full realization. Or a people would be his church. Or one day, as we'll talk about, we'll be made perfect within God's reign. But what's interesting about the kingdom of God is that we live as followers of Jesus within it right now, but it's not fully actualized within this world. Let me explain. There is a moment in the Lord's Prayer. If you recall back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus instructs his disciples to pray then like this, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This shows that Jesus wants his followers to pray to God, asking him to bring his kingdom here. Bring to earth how it exists in heaven. That realm where God's kingdom, God's rule, God's reign is fully actualized. So Jesus desires his followers to pray and ask God to bring that kingdom here. So there's the longing for it. It's not yet fully actualized. And at the same time, the first half of verse 15 reads, the kingdom of God has come near. For the kingdom of God to come near means we can taste it. We can see it. There are experiences that we have in this life that show that the kingdom of God is very, very close to us. And you're going to see moment after moment throughout the gospel of Mark where the kingdom of God is starting to become actualized and become available to us to some extent. And so today, we as followers of Jesus, submitting to God's reign, live in this already but not yet tension within God's kingdom, under God's reign. And so if the, care, if the kingdom of God is God's reign, then what are the results of his reign? When God reigns, what does it look like? What are the characteristics of it? In our world today, if you were to talk to someone that doesn't believe in God, doesn't submit to God's authority, but maybe has some knowledge of the Bible, will more than likely tell you that Christians are just blindly submitting to God's reign, to his rules found within scripture. Well, in one respect, they'd be right. God's word describes how the followers of Jesus, how people within God's kingdom are to live. We see that. And I'm not just talking about the 613 laws that you see throughout the Old Testament. If you were to think back to when we walked through the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous teachings, the people who are going to dwell in the kingdom of heaven, in the realm, are those that submit to God's reign. And Jesus describes the type of people that are going to be part of it. One of those, namely, is the poor in spirit. The ones who understand that they are completely spiritually depraved apart from Jesus are the ones who will actually inherit this kingdom. So Jesus' teachings, at at many moments, doubles down on some of these 613 laws. 
So Jesus doesn't come onto the scene and say, hey guys, I'm here. I'm going to live this perfect life in this sinful world and die for you, but you don't have to submit to my reign. You don't have to submit to God's reign. You don't have to submit to his rule. You can keep living however you think is best. That's not what he says to us. Our responsibility, your responsibility, here is to come under God's reign, willingly, poor in spirit. And so let's answer the question. As you come under God's reign, what are the results of it? As you submit in obedience to live as God instructs us to, what are the byproducts of God's kingdom coming and drawing near to us? Let's keep in mind that we live in this already but not yet. What I'm about to describe is the future glory and hope under God's complete rule and reign. These four things that I'm about to describe are when God's rule and reign, God's kingdom, are fully actualized. And the first one is the kingdom of God is painless. The kingdom of God is painless. How many of you have been in some sort of pain over this last year? Who's physical, been incredibly sick, been experiencing illness over the last year? Maybe it's physical. You've gotten injured a couple of times or really badly once, and it was difficult and frustrating. I'm sure many of us have experienced moments, even if you were to think emotionally or family trauma, there's probably been moments for every single one of us where we've experienced pain in this last year. But within the kingdom of God, it is painless. There is no pain within God's kingdom. Revelation 21 describes what the uh, kingdom of heaven will be like. So the realm will be like where God's kingdom is fully actualized. His realm um, is the kingdom of heaven, but God's reign fully exists there. It covers all. Everyone within heaven submits fully and perfectly to uh, God's reign. It says in verse four, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So in the kingdom of God, there isn't going to be room for tears. There isn't going to be room for pain or death. All of those things were never a part of God's original design from the very beginning. Sin is what introduced pain into this world and death and tears. Those were not things intended to be a part of God's perfect design for us. We were never meant to experience those things. But because of sin, we experienced them. One of the scariest moments of my life, I was 10 years old, went to Romania with my dad for a mission trip, reaching uh, lost individuals in this gypsy village called Petroia. And it is hot. It is not a pleasurable experience there. They don't have all the pleasures and uh, conveniences that we have in Boise, Idaho in this moment. It was a difficult place to live, yet these people are joyful and thankful that we are there for the most part. One night, my dad is about to go up to preach, literally about to walk on stage and deliver a message, calling people to repentance and belief in Jesus. And out of nowhere, I have an asthma attack. And guys, I don't have asthma. I, I, I breathe very well. And the reality for me in that moment is I could not breathe. I was 10 years old, scared to death, couldn't breathe, wanted my dad to help me. He comes over to me, grabs me, picks me up, sets me in a van and prays over me. Lays hands on me, prays on me, and tells the, the gal that was sitting next to me to watch me, and if he passes out, take him to the hospital. 
but I need to preach. Praise over me. I watched my dad walk away thinking that death might be imminent for me. And I'm 10 years old. I don't know what to think. All I know is I can't breathe and I'm scared to death. And though death was imminent, in that moment, in my, in my mind, as a little 10-year-old in that van, God's, under God's reign, death itself is not even, a, not even a thought. God's reign is over even death itself. In God's perfect kingdom, there won't even be thoughts of death. The pain that we've all experienced at this point in our lives will no longer exist. What an amazing future that is for those that are in Christ that submit to God's reign. Number two, the kingdom of God is sinless. The kingdom of God is sinless. How, how many of us have sinned in the last year? All of us, right? All of us have sinned within this last year, and that is another piece of evidence that the kingdom of God is not fully actualized on this earth just yet. Though we have moments where as we've submitted to God's rule and reign in our lives, we are freed from sin in certain areas of our lives, Though there is victory over sin in moments, we are not fully freed from sin. We still sin. We still fall short of God's perfect design for us, though we are bound to inherit God's kingdom. Though we are bound to inherit that perfect kingdom that awaits for us, that painless kingdom, that sinless kingdom, it awaits us. We are still sinful. And church, our sin is so destructive whether it be relationships, people, our classes, whatever it looks like, sin ruins everything that it touches. It's so incredibly destructive. And in fact, it's the reason that we don't have a perfect relationship with God. But Jesus came to us. The kingdom of God has come near because Jesus humbly took on human flesh and went to the cross to pay the debt of our sin that we could not pay ourselves our relationship with God, so long as we confess and believe in the finished work of Jesus, we can be saved. And that relationship with God is restored. A glorious descriptor of God's perfect kingdom is that sin will not exist within it. Later on in Revelation 21, it says, nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Resonate, there is a day coming when you will be made perfect. If you are in Christ, there is a day that is coming where you will be made perfect. No longer will you have thoughts in your head that lead you into sin. No longer will you be tempted by the things of this world. There is a day coming where you will be made completely pure. This is why James says in James 1 to press on and to operate in perseverance when you face trials of many kinds because there's a day where you will be made completely mature complete lacking in absolutely nothing. The sinless kingdom of God awaits us. Another glorious truth for us to cling to. Third descriptor, the kingdom of God is relentless. I think one of the main reasons why men are so fascinated with the Roman Empire is that it was one of the biggest empires of its day, lasting centuries which makes it one of the largest, most dominant empires in world history. And I could imagine if you lived during that time, you would have thought, man, we are never going down. 
like us, the Roman Empire, we are so strong. We are so vast. We are relentless. Like there is no part of us that even has a singular thought that this will not exist one day. Even in America today, there are plenty of people that think that America, because of the money that we pour into our military and the resources that we have and the power that we wield, we will never fall. Like there are people that believe that very thing. And while I can't speak to that whatsoever, I can speak to the kingdom of God, which is relentless. God's God's will is going to come to pass. His will is going to be accomplished. His reign will be complete one day. And we can't know the timing, but we can operate in confidence knowing that the kingdom of God is going to be fully actualized. It will be actualized. Hebrews 12, 28 says this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Resonate, we know God's kingdom is going to be fully actualized on this earth and it cannot be shaken. It's relentless. So therefore, we should offer our worship and reverence and awe to the one who is bringing it here. In Romans 14, as quoted from Isaiah 45, it reads, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Verse 11 is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. Church, God's kingdom is coming to fruition. There is a day coming when everyone on earth will come to understand it. We'll come to understand God's reign for what it is. The kingdom of God is relentless. And the fourth characteristic, the kingdom of God is priceless. Church, what is your eternity worth? As you sit and you take in this message and hear what God has to say to you, what is the kingdom of God worth to you? How is it that anyone who can understand God's kingdom would ever pass up on it. In Matthew 13, there is a single uh, parable that I think is so helpful for us to understand what the kingdom of God is like. Chapter 13, verse 44 says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. In this quick parable, Jesus describes the kingdom of God as a treasure. A treasure that if you really knew the value of that treasure, you would hide it and go away. Sell all that you have in absolute joy because you know that what you're about to inherit is absolutely priceless. Nothing that you have, nothing that you hold could ever uh, uh, surpass the value of that treasure. Resident, is the kingdom of God that valuable to you? Is the kingdom of God that valuable to you? Would we be willing to give up everything that we have to attain it? That's what the parable is communicating to us. The priceless value of God's very kingdom. If you really understood it, you would sell all you had in order to grasp it. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to attain the kingdom of God? And unfortunately, we see friends and family all the time pass up on this treasure for the sake of other things that they think might be more valuable. But who 
in their right mind would pass up on something that is painless, sinless, and relentless. Church, this is what's available to each one of us. This is what has come near to us. This is what has been made available to you by the coming of Jesus. This is the euangelion, the the good news that was inaugurated earlier in chapter one when Jesus is preparing for his earthly ministry. These are the aspects that Jesus brings people to experience through his very life. So we can experience bits and pieces of the kingdom of God in this life right now. You don't have to wait until God's kingdom is fully actualized to experience freedom from pain. You don't have to wait until God's kingdom is fully actualized to experience freedom from sin. You don't have to wait until God's kingdom is fully actualized to experience the never-ending pursuit of God in his reign. You don't have to wait until God's kingdom is fully actualized to experience the priceless nature of his kingdom. And if this is the case, though, how do we experience these aspects of God's coming kingdom now? This is where Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. That is how you come under the reign of God. This is how you experience God's kingdom both now and forever. This is what John the Baptist is preaching about early on in chapter one, when people are turning from their sin, choosing to turn away from their way of life and choose to come under God's reign. And this is what we must do as well. This is our end of the bargain. Jesus is the one who initiates the bringing of God's kingdom to earth. And our response is repentance and belief. The good news that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he came to accomplish. And so in order for us to repent, we first have to acknowledge and recognize our sinfulness. Without that, there's no coming to God. There's no submitting to the reign of God without first recognizing your sin for what it is. This is what Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, poor in spirit. Those are the ones who will enter my kingdom, is what Jesus says. Those who understand that they are spiritually bankrupt without Jesus because of their sin. It takes utter humility for us to come before Jesus, lowly, contrite, and repentant of our sin, and to accept the free gift of grace that Jesus offers us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Your repentance and belief allows you to experience God's coming kingdom now. But maybe you don't feel like you deserve this kingdom. I would imagine there's quite a few of us in, in this moment that don't believe we deserve what's described about the kingdom of God. We don't deserve these things. You might be thinking, why should I experience a painless kingdom when I've caused others so much pain? You might be thinking, why in the world should I get to participate in the sinless kingdom when I've sinned so much throughout my life? Well, the reality is you can't access the kingdom of God through merit. If that was the case, we'd all be in deep trouble, myself included. None of us can do enough good to outweigh the sin that we've committed. The standard to enter into God's kingdom, into the kingdom of heaven, is absolute perfection. And one sin knocks us down. We 
cannot attain the standard of perfection without Jesus. You can only access the kingdom of God through the person of Jesus. And that is why Jesus came. That's why Jesus humbly took on human flesh and was tempted as he was. That's why he lived his sinless life on this earth to be put to death like a criminal. That is why he was buried and raised from the grave three days later. Jesus is the only way to access the kingdom of God. And your repentance and belief in the person of Jesus and the saving work of Jesus is what gives you access. And what is beautiful about this fact to me is twofold. One, it's available to everyone. Every single person on the face of this earth has access to the kingdom of God so long as they confess and believe. That's John 3.16. And secondarily, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all to gain access to his kingdom. That's 1 Timothy 2.4. Another thought you might have is, how in the world do we live in this world that is sinful and broken and often very hopeless? How do we live in this world and operate within the kingdom of God, though this world does nothing to offer us hope? I think this is so real. I think it's so easy to get caught up in the hopelessness of the world, whether it's through news outlets or hearing stories of death and pain in this world. I have someone near and dear to you. And this world, we, we know, doesn't have a lot of hope to offer us, but Jesus does. We can live in this hope of this painless, sinless, relentless, and priceless kingdom by doing what Jesus did. What does Jesus do? Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Resonate, when we proclaim this good news, when we speak of this good news of this coming kingdom, how we are currently experiencing his joyous kingdom, a couple of things tend to take place for us. When your eyes are lifted, you begin to focus your, your gaze on the things of eternal significance. Number two, your faith is strengthened. Your faith becomes strengthened as you focus your eyes on the one who is worthy of your gaze. And thirdly, your hope is filled in a world that is hopeless. In a world that's utterly hopeless, you can have an eternal hope in the kingdom of God because of Jesus. And so as you live intentionally in your day-to-day life, proclaiming the good news of God to the people around you, you're reminded of this glorious future that exists for you. And though we might not fully experience it today, we see bits and pieces of his kingdom coming to fruition. We get to take joy in that church. As you live intentionally in your day-to-day life, proclaiming this good news, you're filled with strength and you're filled with hope. And so Resonate Church, I want to pray for us that we would move forward proclaiming God's very kingdom as it is coming to earth and, and take hope and joy that it will one day come to complete fruition. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, thank you for who you are. God, we are so thankful that your kingdom has been made available to us. We are so so blessed and so thankful that our repentance and belief is what gives us access to that. So, Lord, I pray that we would come humbly before you. Those that might be listening to this that have not repented and believed in the good news of the gospel, Jesus, that you came, you died, were buried and resurrected, also that we might be able to have a relationship with God, that those people might confess and believe, 
Repent and believe because the kingdom of God is near. Lord, give us hope. Fill us with strength and faith as we go about our days proclaiming your kingdom. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.